Welcome to Decades from Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Alton of 40percentgerman.com, and as always, I'm joined by our co-host, the walking fever dream that is Dilly Algama, and our stalwart producer and possible former spy, Simon Josie, to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey, Dilly. Hey, Simon. Hi, Nick. Hi, Simon. Hi, Dilly. Hi, Nick. I feel like there's a bit of mission creep with our introduction. It keeps getting longer and longer. So, um, yeah, I was going to uh, talk to you a little bit about something that wonderful that happened to me today. And uh, and I, I don't know if you can really give me any input on it, but God, I just need to share it because I was so bloody happy. I spent three hours in a room in total silence and it was glorious. It was the most glorious three hours I've spent in, I think, a year, <laughs> where it's just total silence because uh, it's the Prüfungswoche at the university or, or exam week at the university, which meant I was invigilating today. And uh, one of the exams was three hours. And I just sat in total silence watching students writing exam papers. Oh, it was great. I, th- I recommend it to anyone. It's like a detox for the brain. It's bliss, right? Really is, really is. And I, I didn't really appreciate exam week until I had a second child. So, yeah, <laughs> I can really, really recommend that. If you have two kids, just find somewhere silent for three hours. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's possible, but do it. It's really, really, it's like a reset. It's great. What did you do with those three hours? I watched students write exams. Uh, I did what invigilators are meant to do. I sort of wandered around, gave students bits of paper when they needed them, answered kind of questions that came up, uh, checked ID cards, uh, read a bit of my book. It's about it, really. It's quite quite relaxing. Uh, a teacher friend of mine has a colleague that knits during exams. I could see how that works. Yeah, knitting mm. during exams is pretty good, I would yeah. have said. Wouldn't that be annoying, the, um, the noise of the, uh, the knitting needles clicking? Or maybe she crochets. I, I don't know the de- uh, it's not details, that it's details, dilly. Details. Well, maybe a knitting needles have silences, Simon. Maybe she's really good at it. Yeah, exactly. Maybe she's so good <laughs> she doesn't even click anymore. You know. Mm. Um, yeah. Anyway, enough about my relaxing three hours at work today. So last year we had a discussion. I'm not sure if it was a full discussion, but we de- it definitely came up a number of times. The fact that that I'd noticed how much German media and politicians love making lists for how Mm. to fix problems that they believe exist in society. The CDU in particular love these lists. There was uh, the five-point plan to relieve the burden on citizens and companies last August. Before that, there was the 10-point agenda for Germany plan in June. But let's not forget the other 10-point plan for energy that came in September. And in fairness to the CDU, they have shown some restraint in 2024. They have at least waited until February before indulging us with another plan. This time, it's made up of 12 points, and it's focused on boosting the economy. So all these plans and and ideas and lists have, have got me thinking. Can we, as a, as a team, as a podcast, come up with our own plan for how to fix Germany? I think it needs to be about 10 points. Five points feels too, too few. 20 points seems too many. Uh, 10 points, nice round number. I'm wondering if we can come up with 10 things that we could do to fix Germany. Mine are mostly going to be sandwich-based, I'll be honest. But you can chip in with whatever points along the way that you think. So what do you reckon? Do you reckon we can come up with a 10-point plan for how to fix Germany? I have a question that is more of a comment here. All right, okay. Was it a question or is it a comment? Yeah, come on. Be, <laughs> be specific. 
So when people talk about flexible working hours, they never talk about teachers, do they? I mean, we we literally have no choice. I find that distressing. I feel like we have a number one coming that's going to be related to flexible working hours, so specifically for teachers, right? How would it work? Yeah, I mean, exactly. How would it work? I mean, this is going to kill the podcast, but seriously, Dolly, how would it work? I mean, it's all about, I mean, we are simply like a like a very elaborate daycare system, right, for kids so that the parents can go to work. Isn't that the point? Oh, well, don't undersell yourselves. I mean, that is the point, right? I mean, this is why we wake up at the crack of dawn, particularly in winter, and we wade through the frosty, snowy bridges to our trains, me. And then, yeah, I, this is how I see it. And when people talk of uh, flexible working hours, I think of how this will never apply to teachers, and I despair. I don't know. I think there's some professions that just don't have flexible hours, right? Like doctors, nurses. Firefighters, I think that'd be the obvious ones. Yeah, we're not at home to fires today. Yeah, sorry. I'm on, I'm on flexi time. I can't solve your fire issue currently. So, I mean, okay, if we're going to make it number one, I mean, this is the question, though. Do we even need to think out this stuff? Because it does feel like a lot of these plans are just like random slogans and ideas that have been slammed onto a piece of paper. So we could just start with like flexi time for teachers and not bother mm. explaining it at all. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's one option. Or we could try and explain it, which I think might take us a bit longer. So um, let, let's just let's just do the CDU thing and just go like, rare flexi time for teachers. That's a thing. That sounds about like a vote runner. Yeah, let's do it. Um, what else? What you got, Simon? I'd like to be able to mow my lawns on a Sunday. Oh, okay, okay. So is that like a window on a Sunday where where everyone can mow their lawn, like a a, a lawn amnesty? Well, okay, it could be like after 10 o'clock or after 11 o'clock in the morning. But but it's very frustrating when, if you've had a very wet summer and you're waiting for that window of opportunity to mow the lawns when the lawns are dry and you get six days of rain and then beautiful sunshine and dry, and that happens to be a Sunday, and then Monday tomorrow it rains again and you can't mow the lawns. So it's actually quite a serious suggestion. So you're saying if you're in a rainy season, as it were, and there's a window of opportunity to mow your lawn where it's dry, you're allowed to mow your lawn on a Sunday. Is that the proviso? Well, okay. I, I don't think we need to go to quite that level of detail. I just think you should be able to mow your lawns on a Sunday. Let's keep it simple. Okay, mow your lawns on a Sunday, number two. Uh, number three is you're not allowed to put mango curry in anything ever again because I am I am what? sick of the term. Right? No, like what you understand is, is curry or all mango curry is not what is on sale in your average German bakery. I'm sick of seeing sandwiches and buying sandwiches that say mango curry. And basically what they mean is just like a marmalade. We put marmalade in your sandwich. Here have marmalade and Henschenbrust or marmalade and uh, Putenbrust or something like that. I am sick of to death of that flavoring combination. And I think it's time we retired it. And if you're going to put curry in a sandwich, do it properly. Don't piss about. And and that's that's my 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 number three. Wait, did you just say mango curry? I said mango curry. Who or what is mango curry? That, Dilly, is exactly the correct response. <laughs> what the fuck is mango curry? It is 
essentially just a sweet flavoring that doesn't have a place in anywhere or any sandwich at all. Hold, hold on, back up the truck here because, okay, do you, do you have an objection to a mango chutney? Absolutely none at all. Mango chutney, fire on. Uh, you have my full support. Okay, because um, I quite like sweet like chutneys that go with curries. I don't mind that, but it's it's just putting it in at random in random sandwiches for the for the hell of it. That's my what? number three. I come from the land of mango curry. I mean, you mm-hmm. make a curry with mango. Mm-hmm. It's like half ripe mango or even unripe, and you can make a curry with it. And you're telling me that they put this in bread in a sandwich? I've 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 seen multiple sandwiches over the last month that have included it. Um, I've questioned it. I've been told off about it. <laughs> It is uh yeah it's it's becoming a bit of a bit of a theme so it's pretty much like a uh, like a cream cheese kind of topping right it's not an do with cream cheese it's like a proper it is a spread for sure but um i'm not sure where the cream cheese comes in but uh it's it's like a if you've got if you've got salad henschenbrust or puttenbrust mm. in the, in there then you might as well just slap some of this in as well and see what happens is it what mango powder with like coriander and stuff no no there's no there is no coriander in there <laughs> if there's coriander at least i'd understand it <laughs> oh okay i did not know of this substance before one more thing to fight there we go right so we're gonna get on to number four we need a fourth one right so I would like to reserve the right to uh, douse people with water if they just, out of the blue, light up a cigarette next to me. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how you're going to regulate that. That feels like a very a very specific thing. Are we talking about anyone can do that at any point? People who don't smoke and who wish to not be passive smokers. What, what's your water delivery system? Is it like you're just walking around with a bucket? or um... Um, A spray bottle, like uh, with, a, with a very strong singular spray like you would use for like a naughty dog i was not aware of that but yes i uh, i assume um okay cool all right so you're getting your spray bottle um, i guess we're all getting a spray bottle just in case mm. uh state mandated spray bottles for anyone who sparks up in the uh the, the wrong place okay simon it's your turn what do you got for me number five so the only really negative shopping experience I had once was a florist yelled at me and I was, you know, buying flowers. So maybe there should be a general rule that florists are not allowed to yell at customers ever. Florists aren't allowed to yell at customers ever. That seems terrifying. I've been shouted at by a florist before as well. <laughs> yeah. So you, you're on Team Simon then with that one, I am right? very much on, I'm strongly on Team Simon. I support yeah. you, Simon. Thank you. You're welcome. Feel better already. Okay, my number six to fix um, uh, Germany is I think whenever the uh, supermarket installs self scanning checkouts, mm-hmm. they need to also install a 24 hour or 12 hour, however long the shop is open, a webcam so you can watch the average German trying to contend with the concept of self scanning and then giving up and going back to like a, a manned checkout because. Every Saturday, the height of my enjoyment is watching groups of people sort of approach the self-scanning checkouts, panic, and then scuttle off to a manned checkout or attempting to use it and failing with such dramatic flair that it's almost like I almost want to give them a round of applause because it's, it's so impressive. 
Uh, my, my favorite thing this week was the guy who didn't quite work out how to do fruit and uh, managed to uh, be buying one banana, but be charged for 25 bananas. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, a, it was a moment of true beauty. I gave him a, a kind of uh, a friendly smile and, uh, and he shook his head in con- total confusion. But I think he saw the funny side of it as well. So that's okay. But I think that's something that we should be doing just for the entertainment of the population. I would like for nurses to be stopped from, you know, when they draw your blood and they put the needle in and then while the needle is inside, they like go in all directions from 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock trying to find the vein and they kind of like Mm -hmm. dig while they're under the skin and um, that stuff is terrible and I want them to stop I want them to sign something before they're employed saying that they will never ever do that yeah you can it's not something you really correct midway through can you like some nurses that I've encountered particularly today they should be just practicing on fruit they shouldn't be let near uh, human hands I, I really did have a bad experience today. I mean, the nurse just like, she, she just stroked my arm the, at first and she said, oh, you have very soft skin. And the last time I heard that, I was on a Tinder date with an Italian. So, <laughs> <laughs> was, like, I'm in, I'm in there. I'm in there. Yes. <laughs> I was really confused and it took me like a few minutes. I mean, that's when I realized, okay, so this is not going the way healthcare should. And, um, and then like she just went in and she did this digging thing and she took it out once because I complained Then she went in again and the needle appeared on the surface from another hole under the skin. And, and I, I was like, okay, okay, you, you, you stop now. I was on the verge of telling her that maybe she should just stick to like papaya or something, you know, but I thought that's, that's, uh, I, I probably made my point when I said, ouch. I think it'd be even better if you just grabbed the needle and did it yourself. That would be hilarious. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, the, I've, I've never had a, a, a negative experience with, with, with blood being taken, but I know uh, plenty of plenty of women who have had a, a, exactly the same experience that you've just outlined for us. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. Okay, excellent. Uh, what are we on? Thank Number you. seven. Number seven. So, Simon. Simon. Okay, so I, I've decided what I'd like is for all written and spoken German to align with basically my level of duolingo i think that would be extremely useful for me what is it what is it the what was the the one my 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 hundest um is nicked klug order (laughs) (laughs) yeah your dog's not smart and it's always something about the little schnecker you know the snail there's always something like and the papa guy like why would i need to know those words but anyway i know those words and so Mm -hmm. i'd like people in my neighborhood to talk to me about their schnecker and their papa guy and um yeah that'd be great the snails and parrots Uh, it would at least make duolingo applicable to reality as opposed to some bizarre universe that that it seems to inhabit currently um yeah so just lots of (laughs) non-sequiturs useless conversation starters i could see how that works my uh, number eight is going to be, I think that all butterkäse should actually just be given away free because it's not mm. really cheese. It's like it's just a weird plasticky substance that I think it's actually criminal that they charge you money for. Absolutely. So I think as you're contending with the self-scanning machine, they should just hand you a packet of butterkäse and just go, here you go, this is for you. Yeah. As a girlfriend of a Dutch person, I am very much with you, Nick, on that. <laughs> it's the worst thing, worst <laughs> product. Dear me. So the next point I want to make is that 
uh, when I'm in Asian shops buying things in my winter jacket with a handbag and probably wearing a beanie, I wish old women would not stop me and ask whether I work there. That's a reasonable, that's a very reasonable thing to... Thank uh, you. And if they do, I would like to be sarcastic and not have like people look at me funny. Yeah, if you don't have a name tag on, you probably don't work in that. Oh area, yeah, or me wearing this winter jacket, carrying a handbag, and and my uh, shopping from another place. Yes, I work here. This is how I work. This is how I roll. There's a foreign there. They'll tell us. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> yeah, perfectly reasonable position to take. Okay, Simon, you get the luxury, nay, the honour of having the tenth point on the list. Yeah. So I, I decided that. What would help us all if maybe German beer wasn't quite as attractive and as appealing as it currently is? You know, those of us particularly who are trying to lose weight since January oh, 1st, whatever it was. So, so really, it would be helpful if German beer wasn't quite as appealing. I think that's that's quite a reasonable request, isn't it? Well, you could just do uh, a bit of a bit of dry January like I, I did. You know, just. <laughs> I'm trying to be kind. I'm not going to comment yeah. on that. I mean, saying that, I still haven't had a drink since that since that Sunday. Oh, don't don't start someone... with you. I haven't had a drink. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had in the middle of, middle, of, middle, of, middle, of, middle of February. I haven't had any alcohol in my system since since, since the last weekend in January. So, which was half a beer for fruit that has gone bad. No fruit that has gone bad. Yeah, I found an apple that was behind the uh, behind the refrigerator. I ate it when I woke up from my stupor eighteen hours later. <laughs> No, I haven't eaten any fermented fruit, uh, like some kind of... Kimchi? Some kind of, no, no kimchi, absolutely All nothing. Right. No, I'm doing okay, I'm doing okay. Nick, Nick it's your turn. I oh, know, that was, we got the 10 points, we're done, we're out, we're, uh -huh. we're free. 11 points would seem ridiculous, 9 points, too few, 10, that's the moneymaker, that is. So, listeners, that's our 10-point plan, follow it to, uh, uh, to the letter, and uh, you will fix Germany, along with us. Usually the months following Christmas are a bit of a lull, a time to renew and consider what might come from the year ahead. Apparently German politicians have taken this concept very much to heart by founding all new political parties. First, we had the former Die Linke firebrand Sarah Wagenknecht, who had threatened for most of last year to leave her party, Die Linke, and, and start another one on the side. Uh, she eventually did this in January, seemingly without any sense of hubris. She named the party Bundes Sarah Wagenknecht Vernunft und Gerechtigkeit, which is Sarah Wagenknecht Alliance, Reason and Justice, which, if we're all honest, sounds like a straight-to-video sequel of a more successful original. I've got to ask you, I mean, why aren't we all just laughing at this name? It's utterly ridiculous for a political party to name the political party after yourself. But apparently everyone has to act like it isn't a massive piss take. Am I, am I the only one who sees that this is like patently ridiculous that we have a political party named after one politician when are we going to get the nick houghton party for for logic and um and cool shit <laughs> and dry january's <laughs> dry january's <laughs> i i completely support you in that it's 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 like she's worried that people might not be able to recognize a party on the ballot paper. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. No, Debbie, it's exactly what she, that's the logic. It's like no one's going to remember the name of this party. I'll put my name on it. <laughs> I just put my name on it. <laughs> so, voters are clearly fucking morons. They'll not know which party it is unless my name is emblazoned all over it. 
I mean, she may have had like a um, a branding coach or you know a social media um, advisor come in and say, "Well, this is what you need to do. This is what the mm. kids are all about. You know, it's all got to be about you." So mm. we we we're all you know full of scorn and laughing, but actually, it might turn out to be the smartest smartest move. I mean, yeah, but it's also I can't believe no one hasn't just laughed all the way. Uh, oh, I've to laughed the, to, to, to the to the exits of the the Bundestag. Um, we'll see. So I think they're polling at eight percent nationally currently. So I guess I guess the the, the joke's on us. Um, and what are our policies? You may ask. Well, something something left wing. Also, we don't like foreigners. That seems to be the general summary of of her platform. Um, however, Vragenknecht isn't the only one getting in on the act. Uh, former president of the Office for the Protection of the Constitution, bit of a mouthful, Hans Georg Massen, has taken a leaf from Vragenknecht's book and gone and done a political party too. He's proving you don't really need to have a personality to start your own political party, just a load of outdated opinions and lashings and lashings of xenophobia. Hans-Georg Massen is a life bureaucrat. He was elevated to the position of the head of one of the three uh, most important intelligence services in Germany uh, in, in 2012, uh, where he quickly became the focus of numerous scandals, including the discovery that Germany had been secretly sharing intelligence with the NSA. And it was in 2018 when Massen rose to prominence after videos emerged of roving bands of right-wing thugs hunting foreigners in Chemnitz, and Massen publicly closed his eyes and stuck his fingers in his ears as the reams of evidence collected by media, civilians, you know, the police, was dismissed as incredible. Um, after that sort of uh, ridiculous uh, announcement that he gave, that he didn't see any problems happening in Chemnitz, he was quickly removed from his position, and after a little bit of political wrangling, was eventually given early retirement. But now he's back with his, uh, his own political party. So this is the first party that I think has ever been founded by a literal personality vacuum. I've, I've listened to a number of conversations with Hans Georg Massen, and he and he looks like a man who has had his entire personality and charisma just surgically removed at some point. Uh, zero charisma, which means he's probably going to be the chancellor um, after the next election. Uh, what do you make <laughs> of this? Well, I mean, yeah, that's it. it's Germany seems to have a dearth the prerequisite. of prerequisite. Yeah, like the most. The most charismatic politician is probably Robert Harbeck, and everyone fucking hates him. So, I mean, <laughs> so, so, all right, I guess I guess we'll stick with the most boring humans possible, um, or the ones who literally look like evil villains. Um, we'll keep them in business. What do you think about this political party and this this story of Hans Georg Maaßen? I have a comment here. So this is about the video that Hans Georg Maaßen commented on. So it was supposed to be a video filmed in Chemnitz where uh, mm -hmm. far right extremists. This is back in, back in this is back in 2018, right? Yeah, yeah. So the the video was about this. Um, some far right extremist people were seen chasing migrants in uh, Chemnitz. So first he had said that it was fake, and then. Second, he had said, well, you know, the video is open to interpretation. I, I, I'm excited now at the thought of, so this is the guy who, who couldn't come up with a plausible reason for ignoring a video. And he is heading a conservative right-wing political party. Uh, I, I like it when seemingly incompetent people head right-wing parties. Uh, I mean, uh, that's, a, uh, that's a very good recipe. Couldn't have asked for anything better. So this Massen guy, he's a spy, right? He was a former security person. I, mm -hmm. I feel I might need to recuse myself from this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, for, the, the, the oh. former spy, clearly. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's I, I the deal. I always knew it, Simon. 
the, the thing that got me, I, I think James Jackson did this on, on Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a fan of James Jackson. Um, I would even chance my arm and say he's my friend. But the, um, I remember when he tweeted about Masson and called him a spy master. Uh, and I was like, that's a bit, it's a bit fucking rich. <laughs> when you look at the career of Hans Georg Masson, he is not a fucking spy master. And it does feel like he is the, the Masson is the result of what seems to happen a lot in Germany. And it happens in Britain too. The only, the, like the, you get someone who, who kind of becomes a lawyer, gets a job in politics, builds their way up. Uh, is elevated constantly into positions by their kind of supporters and people who just like them until they're put into a position where it's totally beyond their ability. And it seems this is exactly what's happened to Hans-Georg Mass. And the, the big problem is it's because it's uh, on the face of it, it's a very prestigious position to be to be given. Mm. It's a very powerful position to be given. But he doesn't seem to have any qualifications to be in that position other than he's mm. been a bureaucrat for his entire career. And I remember I remember saying this on on twitter and getting some uh clap back from from a couple of people who were like well if you look at if you look at the credentials of of the head of the mi5 in britain you'll see that they have a very similar career and then you look at the head of the mi5 and you're like oh he's been a spy for his entire career he's, he's like actually been a spy <laughs> he's spied on people he did espionage he did espionage stuff um through their career hans Georg masson was like working in a fucking gray office and then got promoted to the head of the spy <laughs> agency and you're like yeah i don't i don't really i kind of suspect that he really wasn't that involved i don't think he really understood what the fuck he was doing it does very much feel like the peter principle here where you just have someone who's kind of living on the back of it you know and what does it say about uh, the intelligence services of Germany that you had a right-wing guy heading one of the intelligence services and it took his public statements to get him to retire? Oh, that, that's, the, that's the best of it. That's what, not, what, not exactly what happened. And this is under when, when Merkel was, uh, Angela Merkel was, was, was chancellor. Mm -hmm. And basically what happened was they were like, right, we're going to remove you and we're going to make you a special advisor to Horst Seehofer, who was uh, then, I think, the interior minister, mm -hmm. um, and which was actually a, a promotion because he would get paid significantly more than his position as, as the head of this intelligence agency until there was public outcry. And eventually he was given like a, a different advisory role that wasn't paid quite as much. Mm -hmm. And after about like two months, Horst Seehofer said, I can't actually work with this guy. Horst Seehofer, remember, was the former head of the CSU. He was he was the head of the CSU before Marcus Söder. He was he had right wing credentials right out the wazoo, and even he found Masson a little bit much. And eventually, he was just given gar gardening leave essentially, and, and sort of put into early retirement, and with a nice fat pension. But um, yeah, um, it's kind of seemingly what happens, isn't it? You sort of put some grey bureaucrat in a position of power, and they go a little bit mad. Because um, he did, he became a COVID denier and all of these other things. So the um, Conservative Association Wertunion, which has long been close to the CDU, uh, the, the main opposition party in Germany, has now essentially just become a party of, of its own. And they're going to move to the right of the CDU and the CSU. Several participants in the founding meeting confirmed to various news agencies that this party had officially been founded. However, th there wasn't really a lot of official information because there was meant to be a press conference, but it was uh, swiftly canceled when it appeared that there might be uh, some protests against it. And actually the unveiling of the party uh, or the, the sort of inauguration of the party happened on a boat 
on the Rhine near Riemagen. And uh, it's all a little bit, uh, it's all a bit ridiculous, really. So originally, yeah, Masson was a member of the CDU. He was expelled from the party or was in the process of being expelled when he decided to leave in January. Uh, he has recently made public that his former employer, the Office for the Protection of the Constitution, this intelligence agency, has actually uh, been collecting data on him because of his right-wing extremism. And uh, he said the new party is, is a conservative liberal party, uh, which is the most meaningless phrase, I think, at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, and according to the representatives of his Wirt Union, uh, the new party will run in the state elections in September in Brandenburg, Saxony and Thuringia, but not in the European elections in June. That might come a bit too early. And uh, in an interview broadcast on Friday evening, Massen told broadcaster TV.Berlin that the um, Wirt Union uh, wanted to fill the gap between the classic CDU-CSU, which had abandoned the path, whatever the path is. The Christian path. Have you read the oh, manifesto? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Christian path. That's what they've abandoned. Christians, yeah, yeah. of course, that's right. The, the Christian guys aren't, aren't that Christian, it turns out. Um, uh, and they said that the AfD had become too radical. Wow. <laughs> he's, he's, you've been paying attention, have you, over the last decade? And he said, we stand for classic bourgeoisie yeah. Uh, values, yeah. um, which fuck, fuck off, uh, that have made <laughs> Germany strong and that ultimately shaped the CDU. The Weltunion is for freedom, the rule of law, democracy, tolerance, yeah. but also for the state to withdraw from people's lives. People's so lives. just like yeah. some bullshit collection of libertarianism and kind of right wing so uh what do you make of the new party have we got three new voters here have we have we uh, masson has posted on twitter i think a 11 page manifesto sort of thing and uh, I, I think one of the things that stood out for me was um they want the state to stay out of people's lives they want people to have more freedom and of course, in uh, kindergartens and schools, uh, people should stay away from teaching gender ideology. So again, it's very um, uh, not very gender affirmative of um, of Marson. I mean, he calls himself conservative, which is also like yes, now. I mean, that's pretty much right wing code. But it's also the thing, isn't it? It's like we're going to stay out of your life, but unless it's something that we really think is important, in which case we're going to get right up in your life. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it was really self-contradictory, as you noticed. Uh, we want parents to be able to have more a say in their children's lives, but uh, when it comes to like um, trans rights and so on, we'd rather have a say in your children's lives. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I don't know wh what the difference is uh, between... Well, like, you know, one right-wing party and another right-wing party. But one thing that I do like about this is that the right-wing vote gets kind of diluted between different parties. Mm -hmm. And that might be a win for the uh, the very weak lefties. I just think any any kind of sort of centrist position is going to do, do well, right? Because... Uh, yeah. Uh, if 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 the right wing vote is split between all these different parties, yeah, I mean the, the I mean, but then again, the, the question would be, what's the CDU going to do about it? Are they going to draw even further right as all these other parties sort of kick off? Um, I mean, we talked the other week about AfD voters going over to this new left wing party, which made no sense to me. It's just like, oh, we're just oh, I'm right wing. No, I'm left wing. Fuck it, I'll do whatever, like whatever branding that looks good to me. I'll go with that. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure that the vast majority of the voting public, or at least the vast majority of the voters for who are people who claim they're going to vote for the AfD, have any political literacy at all. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I'd, 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 I guess that might happen. It's certainly a, a possibility. Is there going to be an identity crisis here, though? Because just looking at the what the, what they stand for, freedom, rule of law, democracy, tolerance, as you said, oh, and the state to withdraw from people's lives, what does the CDU-CSU stand for? Because I wouldn't be surprised if those four things are on their bingo card as well. And if you ask the AFD, it probably in polite company, they probably say the same things. And the SPD probably are interested in freedom, the rule of law, democracy, tolerance. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, I think they're going to they're gonna have a tough time marketing themselves. Well, maybe this is where Sarah Barkenklecht has the edge, right? She stuck her name <laughs> on her pie. <body. laughs> Hey, so um, have either of you noticed that the, at least the European edition of The Guardian Online seems to have largely removed their Ukraine coverage from the, from the, from the front page? Have either of you noticed that? That's something that I've picked up over the last couple of days. Really? I hadn't, I hadn't honestly picked up on that. I'd seen there were some uh, articles about, about, about Ukraine, but... Yeah, I mean, because since the war started, it's sort of been a major feature of, of the Guardian's front mm-hmm. page mm-hmm. right from mm-hmm. day one. It's been there constantly, but it seems to have taken a bit of a backseat recently. But anyway, the reason I mention this is that I'm, I'm always looking for ways to somehow remind us all that we are living with a major war on our back doorstep. Uh, as we record this on Tuesday, the 20th of February, the Guardian, if you go looking, you can find it, actually has informed me that we are on day 727 since Russia invaded Ukraine. Jeez. Yeah, exactly. Now, I get most of my news and analysis, uh, particularly my analysis, I would say, by listening to a wide variety of podcasts, so that's Mm -hmm. as opposed to reading. And recently, I was listening to one which pointed out the relatively low adoption rate of Ukrainian refugees resident in Germany who've moved into the German workforce. Now, unfortunately, I can't remember which podcast it was. It could have been any one of the following, which you might want to consider if you're looking for an English language podcast about Germany, the UK, Europe, and or the Ukrainian war. So I'm just going to rattle them off quickly. Uh, Battleground, Berlin Side Out. Excellent. Brussels Sprouts, uh, Germany in Focus. Excellent. (laughs) Geschichte ist Gegenwart, der History und Politics Podcast der Kürbe Stiftung. Uh, Megan's Mega Can. Any comment there, Nick? Love it. Love it. <laughs> uh, Radio Spätkauf, uh, Berlin, and we love their, those guys as well. Um, the two mats, Ukraine, Russia, war talk, war on the rocks. Now, maybe I will say one thing. Was this last one, if you're, if you're really serious about trying to find out and get yeah, very serious commentary about the Ukrainian war, War on the Rocks is a terrible name for a podcast, but actually, it's actually quite heavy stuff and and mm. yeah i would mm. say th- there's a lot of rah-rah english podcasts that talk about the war in ukraine but these mm. guys are actually american or i think he's actually mm-hmm. ukrainian one of the, the main guests and uh they seem to really know what they're talking about anyway i did some googling in an attempt to verify the information about ukrainian refugee employment rates so mm-hmm. in october last year Reuters reported that the German government had proposed steps to speed up the integration of tens of thousands of Ukrainian refugees into its labor market. 
calling on German companies to loosen their German language requirements and offer extra training. Are you, are you aware of that? Have you heard about that in any any way? I haven't I haven't heard about that, but I just thought I'd ask you. I mean, I've only seen sort of articles mentioning it, and that there were there were attempts to make it easier for for um, Ukrainians to to enter the the workforce. Yeah, yeah. So so at the time, it was reported that the German government was hoping to enlist the support of companies, employment agencies, and associations for a voluntary commitment, and actually appointed a special representative from the German Federal Employment Agency, uh, Daniel Terzenbach, to liaise with them. Now, it, it's said that European countries have not fully seized on the opportunity to plug workforce gaps presented by the arrival of Ukrainian refugees since last year, mm-hmm. even though many of those fleeing the war are highly educated or have sorely needed skills. Well, it just, it just, just feel like it's, it's the archetype of stories that we've talked about a lot, this inability to be able to deal with the qualifications of certain people, yeah. the, the inability to find, to, 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 to fill vacancies that desperately need filling because they, they feel like they're not, they don't have the perfect candidate. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one. Yeah. So very familiar. I actually, I've got some figures here, which are quite interesting because now, yeah, there's some caveats with these, but, but just the, the big picture is quite, quite concerning, I would say. So, in general, Ukrainians' educational level exceeds the EU average. So if we talk about highly educated people, it's 53% of the population in Ukraine compared to 31% in Germany or the EU average, which is 35%. What they've described as middle educated, it's 27% of the Ukrainian population, 56% of the German population, and 47% of the EU low educated 20% in Ukraine, 13% in Germany, 18% EU average. Now, the big thing is, in October last year, the German Federal Employment Agency reported that the employment rate of Ukrainians in Germany was only 19%. And you might mm-hmm. go, oh, okay, well, yeah. But the thing is, if you compare this with the findings of an OECD so that's the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development report that was summarized in the online publication Notes from Poland. That's where I found it in October last year. Um, the employment rates of refugees from Ukraine in Poland is 65%. So remember, we're comparing with Germany, which is 19%. So mm-hmm. Poland, 65%. UK, 61%. Sweden, 56 Lithuania, 53 Czech Republic, 51%. Denmark, 46, Netherlands, 46, Estonia, 46, France, 33, Ireland, 28, and then we get down to Italy and Switzerland, same level as Germany at 19%. So I think that's the thing that that is people should be sitting up and and taking note of because because those are massive differences. Now, Mm -hmm. there's maybe some questions about this data because... The data from it, it comes from sort of various domestic and international sources. It's not like there was one big survey that was sent out to all countries, and you know. So there's there's probably some wiggle room in these numbers. Um, you know, for example, uh, in in the case of Poland, the UK, and Czech Republic, and Italy, the the, the data is based on surveys, um, and 
the other thing that's important to note is that the data was collected at different times for different countries. So yeah, it, it's not a perfect data set by any stretch of the imagination. But I think the big picture, um, because the rates are so different between, for example, Poland at 65 and, and Germany at 19, I, I think people should be sitting up and, and, and taking notice of that. Yeah, I, I guess it's, there's, there's, there's differences across the countries. And, 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 and this is me just maybe project in but my thought would be if you've got refugees traveling to the uk they more than likely speak some level of english if not a very high level of english and i wonder how much the english levels correspond with the education levels and 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 not to say that if you speak english you're highly educated but it's also i think there's, there's probably a correlation there to to the to skills and and, and and language to a certain extent um highly educated um, English speakers, that probably could be a point of, of, of reference. I, I do think it's interesting seeing the kind of complaints that you outlined because they're complaints that we've seen time and time again from, from people who, who are coming from outside the EU who are highly skilled and unable to find positions. Um, I read something, uh, uh, a post on Reddit the other day from someone who'd come from uh, India who had applied for, a, um, had sent their application out to a, a thousand times and had only 10 interviews. Uh, and they they sort of intimated that it might have a lot to do with their, their language level, despite them having more skills than a lot of people working in the industry because their language level wasn't of, of the standard or an expected standard they they, they were suffering. And I wonder how much of that is people incapable of, again, something we've talked about, the, the, the inability for a lot of German companies, if not Germans on the whole, to handle bad German. Like, they can't get past, like, if you don't speak good German, then you're therefore a moron. Like, that's, like, the perception, it seems like. You're not, you're not educated enough if you can't speak German. doesn't matter what your qualifications mm. say, and especially if your qualifications come from somewhere outside the eu or from somewhere that doesn't they don't recognize instantly that there's there's a kind of a likelihood that you'll you'll struggle to find employment can i ask a question here though so if there is a 61 percent of employment of refugees from ukraine in the uk how come we also have them and if we are thinking about language how come then that we have a 65 percent rate of employment in poland i don't know i don't know enough about the the differences between polish language and ukrainian language and how how close those two languages are yeah, yeah. um culturally i think they're quite similar as well ah i mean they are neighbors yeah yeah well, i mean I, don't, I mean possibly but also it could be um it could be that there is more Polish speakers amongst that community or mm. it's easier for them to deal with people speaking sort of ropey pigeon Polish or that they can, they communicate through a combination of Ukrainian and, and Polish and, and English. Um, maybe there's just an adaptability. It wouldn't surprise me as well, given the sort of Polish diaspora has been, um, uh, uh, there's a lot of young people who, who left Poland have come back and that might change the dynamic slightly perhaps. And also Poland being the neighbor country, maybe there are uh, lots of Ukrainian refugees, which also requires Ukrainian speaking people to be employed in Poland. I just a guess though. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of unknowns, but if we're thinking about what specifically what's, what's happening in Germany, it seems so 
typically German for them to have like an opportunity to find employment or positions of employment. No one, we've talked about this, I was at 400,000 positions open in Germany. You're telling me they couldn't find qualified candidates from amongst these, these refugees. And I know from just anecdotally from from refugees that I've come into contact with or that that my colleagues have have, have housed that initially yeah it was very difficult but a lot of them have now gained some proficiency at the language I mean m most of them that I've I've spoken to have the same certificates I do like a B1 language certificate um, which is enough for you to qualify for citizenship with that language level. Um, because it's considered a proficiency that means you can you can work but again it, it's that thing of like well is that is that even perceived or understood by employees is that is this just like a typical kind of german or oh, we have an open goal or oh, we've kicked it over the bar kind of scenario i i don't have the information here the data I, I don't know if it exists but one thing i was wondering is what rate have ukrainians gone back to ukraine from places like Germany, because I know that quite a few people did start to go back. So I wonder, I wonder what the rates of people staying here, how many have gone back. That would be really interesting to me, but I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have that information. Um, I wonder if people have gone to the UK because they've gone further and because it is culturally more, you know, it's, it's such a big change from, from where they were. And maybe they've gone with the mindset that they've gone permanently more than the people who've come into Poland, into Germany, who've seen it more as a, a, a temporary, a temporary move. And and maybe it would be interesting to know what the breakdown of the the family structure of the people who've come into Germany are versus the one who've gone to the UKs. Maybe there's mm. a lot of young mothers, because of course the men weren't allowed to leave, but maybe mm. there's a lot of young mothers with children who feel that. All they can do is just survive and, and look after their kids and really working is, is, is just beyond them at the moment. And you also got a place like London that's such a massive metropolis with like so many different cultures. And I know there's a, there's a, a large enough uh, Ukrainian population, uh, certainly in, in, in London, but, but in, in around the south of England. So there's more, maybe more networks, more connections. Um, but in saying that, you would have thought that there would be a similar kind of vibe here. It, it also depends on distribution, right? Because I, I can't quite remember exactly how it panned out. It was kind of a bit random when they would sort of send in people to different parts of the country and sort of kids and, and parents were being sent to different, different areas in Germany, uh, which areas they've been sent to, uh, what kind of employment opportunities are in those areas, that kind of thing. Question um, to you both. Do you see the same number of ukrainian plated cars that you did a year ago two years ago yeah no actually i, I mean I, I see it regularly enough on the roads i drive i've been driving mm. quite a lot over the last couple of weeks because of because of work and certainly it's it's it's, just, it's very noticeable yeah um, well, because i'm doing dog walks two times a day i, I can I, like i i know i sort of recognize the same cars with Ukrainian plates. I know them from, from the, the broader ne uh, neighborhood around here. And, and it hasn't increased or decreased. I guess that's my point. It's, it seems to have been static. Well, I, I guess for a lot of people, the, the, the assumption was that, well, I mean, th there was a lot of assumptions made. No one knew what was going to happen. It's, it's a war after all. It's a, 
changes from day to day. And I think there's, there's some people who maybe arrived with a sense that, that it's, it's very temporary. So they, then they didn't necessarily engage in the same way. And now it's dragged on for um, over 700 days, as you mentioned, and, and, and maybe that, that's changed their equation slightly. But I just, I don't know, I, I just feel like it does feel like it's it's stagnated a little bit, or at least the the the, the listening to what the government has to say and and what's been happening over the last few weeks. It does feel like the attention and focus has kind of drifted slightly. Um, and it, but it just seems it just seems wild that is a is a country Germany can't really get its act together to find a way of utilizing these people who who have come here. Uh, because of war but still have to live their lives you know they still got to go to school and they've got to mm. go work and 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 these things are just normality is, is obviously going to be mm. uh, sort of vital um it does seem odd that germany seems to be a bit of an outlier along with switzerland and italy uh, when it comes to sort of being able to find employment for, for people That brings us to the end of the show. We are off to found a new political party, possible name, the decades from home, Dilly, producer Simon and Nick, collective for freedom to mow lawns, painless blood tests and all round better sandwiches party. Yeah, we're for tolerance and democracy and all that other stuff. Vote for us! If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, which only takes us a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, all lowercase, on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dillion at Delini Algama, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on DecadesFromHome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Tschüss.